0: Hey guys, on this episode, we have Morag Barrett, and she's the author of a bunch of books one called Cultivate, one called You, Me, We, another one called The Future Proof Workplace. And uh, today we talk about how to show up better at work, how to build those relationships that lead to better outcomes. Really cool conversation. She's super smart, and I think you're really gonna enjoy it. And if you would like to support our podcast, the best thing you can do is to share it with other folks. Uh, or go and take literally five seconds and give us a five-star review. That's a great way for us to get the word out for the podcast, get better guests, and continue to bring you good content on an ongoing basis. So hope you enjoy this episode. Take care.
1: Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, hey Bestie, hope you're having an amazing day. The world's a better place because you're in it. You see what happens when you subscribe? You get a bonus greeting on every single episode. So that's a no-brainer to uh, subscribe to the Ethics Experts and join us as we change the world by fixing our workplaces. Got a real treat with uh, for you today. Uh, we have Morag Barrett. She's the CEO of SkyTeam. How's it going, Morag?
1: It's going great. Thank you, Nick.
0: And I love your tagline that you're um, passionate about the way business gets done through the power of our personal relationships. You're an author of the book Cultivate and uh, also another book, uh, You, Me, We. Love the cover art for that book. I am a big uh, judge a book by its cover person. So, uh, you know, that looks really cool. So welcome.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'll let you into a secret. I'm going to be redressing. You know, like yeah. Redressing Cultivate so that it can stand even more proudly next to Yumi Wee. Wow. So there will be bright colors and pops come in with that one too.
0: I love it. Yeah. I mean, the Cultivate one is is good as well. So from somebody who is an expert book cover judger, you got two you? thumbs up on two different books. So well done there.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much indeed.
0: So tell me a little bit about um, Sky Team and tell me about this that you focus on, which is personal relationships, the power of those relationships and how that helps uh, get more work done or get better work done?
1: So it's interesting because relationships are probably not the first thing that we think about when we think about success in career, business or life. Yeah. But from the research that we've done at Sky Team, we know that the quality and depth of our professional relationships has a direct correlation on our health, happiness and productivity. It's what matters. And we know when they suck because we leave the office at the end of the day and we get home and either the dog or the goldfish or the significant other gets the, you won't believe what happened at work today, (laughs) what so-and-so said or did. And we're having the conversation with the wrong person. Right. So at Sky Team, what we do is we... Focus on how business gets done. Those relationships within the team you might be part of or you're managing, the cross-functional relationships across the organization or industry-wide with our customers in order to reduce that friction. Because when we have relationships that are built on trust, where we have clarity about what we're trying to achieve, information flows quicker, decision quality goes up. And ultimately, we are all better together because results get better.
0: So in your research or just in your experience, do you think that the quality of those relationships are idiosyncratic to the individuals that we're talking about? Or is it really driven? Is the strong force the, you know, the culture or the environment that they're in?
1: The force. Let the force be with you. So it's interesting that you ask that because it's both because relationships don't happen in a bubble,
0: yeah, and in my
1: first book, Cultivate, I introduced what I call the relationship ecosystem. So first of all, why did I write this book? I kept getting asked. People would come to the keynote, they would listen to the leadership programs, they say, "This is great. When are you going to write the book? Where can I le- learn more? So that was the genesis for Cultivate. And I had spent fifteen years in finance lending millions of pounds to all sorts of companies, different stages of their life cycle. All of them going, hey, we're going to get rich. We're going to make branded Yeti mugs. You know, here you go. And the cash flow forecast would have all the numbers and I'd be looking at it. But the difference between those that delivered on their dreams and the ones that failed was whether or not they invested in the quality of their relationships. But, of course, when things are going well, it's easy to be a bestie. As you open this episode, it's easy to be a good colleague. Right. It's when things are going wrong That's the true test. So the relationship ecosystem, I am getting to answer both your questions here, introduces four relationship dynamics that I think we all relate to. There is your ally, best friend at work, person who's got your back, good days and bad days. Gives you the kick in the pants when you need it and the tough love feedback. There's supporters, fair weather friends. Yay, go Nick, you're fab. And then when the going gets tough, crickets, because I'm not going to take personal risk until I know how much risk there is. And even then, it might be too little, too late. And then you move around the ecosystem to the dark side. You have rivals, Jekyll and Hyde. When it suits me, I'm all for it. For you, I'm supportive. And when it doesn't, I'm against you. So it's that uncertainty that in the short term might raise your game because you prepare and over-prepare and anticipate. But in the long term, stress, anxiety and burnout. And then the fourth dynamic is your jerk at work, the adversary. It's continually and consistently tough and you're butting heads. Mm -hmm. And those four dynamics, in answer to your question, happen within the context of the culture of the organisation. They happen in the language that I use to describe you when I'm BMWing, bitchy moaning and whining at the end of the day to my significant other about what you may or may not have done. And it's also driven by, was this the one-off butting of heads or is it a pattern of behavior? So going back to your question, is it down to the individual or is it down to the organization? The answer is a bit of both. The key though is if you want to make a change, it starts with the individual. Yeah, It starts with me. There you go.
0: Yeah, great answer the, so you started off by talking about you lending all this money out and, you know, there were some groups that, uh, succeeded in it and some Mm -hmm. groups that, you know, you said that they achieved their dreams and those that didn't. And the dividing line was sort of the quality of the relationships in the organization. Do you think that, You know, that first group, the ones that achieved it, was there an intentionality about making sure that those relationships were jiving? Or did you see often that it just kind of worked because maybe they selected the right people or the right personality types? And the reason I'm asking that is I think a lot of us are in organizations that seem, you know, that are maybe larger. And it's like, well, is this the dynamic in our organization? Or is it just the dynamic that I'm experiencing on a day to day or week to week basis? And if it's a dynamic that I don't like, like, how do I actually start to change it? Do you just start local or do I have to kind of cross my fingers and hope that, you know, leadership has this initiative and is sort of starting to sing from this song sheet that the quality of our relationships is going to be the true driver of whether or not we achieve these goals or not?
1: Wonderful questions. And that's where you, me, we comes in, because yes, I give some of those tips in Cultivate, but you, me, we, the subtitle is why we all need a friend at work Mm. and how to show up as one. So Gallup, for example, has been researching engagement for 20 years. And one of the 12 questions that they ask is question 10, do I have a best friend at work? And there is a direct correlation between the ability to answer yes to all 12 questions, but especially that one, and having an engaged and successful workforce, which includes more profitability and bottom line. Right. They get loads of pushback on that question. It's too touchy-feely for a lot of leaders. And- Interesting. What we've done in You, Me, We is to reframe it. Well, I had a well, challenge
0: with it. Let me pause you there. Why Why yeah. is that so touchy-feely? That seems so obvious to me.
1: Oh, well, I've had that in my career in banking. Oh, this it's not personal. It's just business. You know, leave your emotions at the door. Got and it. some of that old world thinking is still prevalent in many organizations. And think about it. Our school systems... Whether it's through high school back in England where I grew up or here in the States where I now live, even our university programs to some, ex- to a, to some extent are all focused on me versus the exam board, mm. me versus ca- my colleagues. Can I graduate in the top 10%? It's all me, me, me because collaboration in an education environment is cheating. Right. But the world of work, Is a team sport. It is dependent. Even if you're a solopreneur, it's dependent on the relationships that you build. And so that mind shift is different. And so with that question, do I have a best friend at work? What we did is reframe it because do I have a best friend at work allows me to sit back and go, well, no, because Nick got the project I wanted. Nick got the promotion I deserve. Instead, the question we're asking in You, Me, We is, am I a friend at work? Mm. So, am I leaning in and going first? So, when you asked, how do you affect change? How do you strengthen your relationships? It's one conversation, one relationship at a time. Go first. Do what you need to do within guardrails. Don't become a doormat to build ally relationships. And then, as a final point to your question, well, what if the organization culture is still sucky in a year from now? What do I do? Well, Find somewhere where you can thrive but yeah. no, and leave knowing that you've done your best and you've done your best to affect change for you and your colleague or you and your team. And now it's time to mm. move on.
0: I mean, it sounds kind of trite, but, you know, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. I love that. Yes. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that quote that says, if you need a friend, be a friend. Like that's yes. the way to make, that's the way to, to make friends is to be a friend, you know? And I, yeah. I love that angle with your book because it's such a high agency angle to say like, okay, mm-hmm. well, if it, if I want to sort of have a different experience, I need to start with myself and start with showing up different, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think about how you open the episode with hello bestie and the world is a better place because you're in it. There are people like you and me who lean into it, who lead with the give trust, to assume positive intent that how can I help you to be successful? Mm -hmm. There are others who are going to wait for you to prove it. And I don't mind where your starting point is as long as I know what my mindset is, because then I can articulate it to you. And I can set the guardrails that says, yeah, abundance and generosity, for example, is the foundational practice for an ally mindset that we talk about in You, Me, We. And what I've learned over the years is My default operating system is abundance and generosity. How can I help? Yes, yes, yes. But if I'm not being an ally to myself, that continual giving to others and deprioritizing my own needs just leads me to overcommit, exhaustion, et cetera. So I need to be able to say, yes, I can give. And whilst you've asked for the moon, Nick, I can give you a star. I can give you something a little lower. I can work late tonight, but I can't work at the weekend. But if we can't articulate the boundaries, that's when, again, relationships get out of sync and it can feel like, well, we're sitting there griping because we're having to do a project that we asked for because we don't feel valued. We don't feel that we are cared for.
0: So what advice do you have for people who kind of struggle with those boundaries and struggle with not turning into a doormat?
1: So... That's something that I'm working on right now. This I, is book I gave book three? This is book three? It may be. It may be <laughs> book three. And it's certainly the content that we're writing that goes deeper into these. So mine was certainly an over-scheduled calendar. And we've been talking about that in the green room beforehand. And, okay, it's taken me 50 years to work this out, but one can color code one's Google calendar. And for a long time this year, I had a sticky note sitting in front of me that had five things written on it. Health, two client names, a mastermind group I'm part of, and Sky Team. And my calendar meetings were color coded to match those items.
0: Okay.
1: It gave me an immediate visual recognition as to whether or not I was doing what I said was important.
0: Mm. Because what was happening. Yeah, you could just glance at at the calendar and see, like, oh, it's all green and there's no health on there or something. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. Because my health is orange theory. So that. That meeting is in orange. And it also gave my team visibility. And I gave them explicit permission to kick my ass as my allies, my best friends at work, if I wasn't remaining balanced and allowing shiny objects to get onto my calendar. So when you talk about setting boundaries, first of all, we need to decide individually what's important to us. Mm -hmm. Where am I in my life? Have I got young kids at home? I want to make sure I can get to their sporting event. Um, I have a commute or I don't have a commute, whatever the things that fill us up, if we can't identify them, how do I know if I'm meeting them? And then how do I learn to say no so I can give a powerful yes to the things that are going to help me and you and therefore we to be better together?
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of. It takes that work of kind of articulating like what you want in order to see like what's inbounds and what's out of bounds.
1: I mean, yeah. I kind of struggle with thing, that.
0: Sometimes I just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm definitely a yes. You know, if there's yes people and no mm-hmm. people, I'm definitely a yes uh, type of a person. And it's, but it's, and I find it like sometimes difficult to just to like say no to something, you know.
1: So it's back to a year from now. What would you like to be different um, about how you are showing up in the world? You said at the beginning, the world is a better place with us in it all right, so how are you making the world a better place and how is the, the world making you a better person? So there's the intersection of all of that. It's not just about helping others. It's helping ourselves to then help others, much like put your mask on first on the uh, airplane emergency things. Because unless you can manifest it, then you can decide, okay, so what do I need to be doing more of and what do I have to stop doing in order to make sure that I can give the care and attention to those elements over the next 12 months and realize that vision. And then if it isn't a heck yes, when somebody comes and asks you, hey, can you come and do this? Can you help me with that? Would you do it pro bono or whatever? If it's not a heck yes, if it's not aligned, color-coded to meet those goals, then that's your first signal to make an informed choice to potentially say no or not at the level that you're asking for. hmm and it comes back to a word you used earlier on, intentionality. And I know for myself, my, co- my co-authors on the book, as we look back, the biggest trip up is not being intentional, but being reactive. Yeah, right. Because when you're reacting, it isn't with intentionality. And often it's just, well, how yes, can it be, yes, To yes. your point, yeah. Yeah, it can't be.
0: Um, have you ever read this book called Psycho-Cybernetics?
1: Well, I've not, but no, that sounds like an intriguing title. It's pretty title.
0: interesting. It's a, it's a little bit old, but it's really cool. Um, hmm. It is, you know, the thesis of the book is that man is not a machine, but man has a machine, and that machine is our mind. And our mind is this, um, this sort of unique goal-seeking mechanism um, that we can direct. You know, we can direct it toward problems, and it's going to kind of figure out the way through it. And I think, to your point, when we can establish that sort of intentionality or establish that vision in the future for what we want to be or how we want to show up or what we want our company to look like, and we can have a really clear picture for that, um, it's almost like our mind automatically helps to kind of push us in the right direction, and it can iterate through, you know, this is – Uh, You know, you hear all these stories about somebody who wakes up at three in the morning with like the answer to this thing that's been sort of rattling around in their head. Well, that's because they have a really clear picture of what that problem is and their subconscious can work on it and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it's a really powerful uh, it's a powerful tool, our mind, um, that many of us don't like utilize to its to its full potential because we're stuck in that reactionary mode and we're not being as intentional about, you know, the picture that we want to have or like who we want to be or all those kinds of things. And, uh, it's just so funny how so many of these topics that we talk about kind of come down to the same thing. It comes down to like, do you have a clear vision of it? And are you prioritizing Mm -hmm. the right things? And are you moving away from that sort of urgent, um, you know, urgent, important box, which is where all the reactionary efforts go and moving into that, you know, non-urgent important box where you can really create those, those leverage points. I mean, at some level, maybe humans have always, I'd love to hear your thought on this, but Maybe everybody has always struggled with this thing, this getting out of reactionary mode, being more proactive, being more forward looking, being able to vision cast and so forth. Oh, what I was going to say is that like many times I think manifesting it comes from a clarity of vision and the automatic, uh, application or, you know, the autom- the automatic, you know, uh, manifestation of our goal seeking tool in the mm-hmm. world, you know? Um, but do you think everybody has always kind of struggled with this and, or do you think it's harder now because of like how much like re- reactionary potential there is? Like there's just, like, like, and I'm saying like, I have a hundred freaking notifications a day on my phone. Those are all potential things I, I could oh react to. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. And, and if, and I have fallen into that trap of the inbox read, action, delete, but now that means that I am prioritizing my day based on whichever email yeah. has come in next versus a deliberate, intentional what needs to get done today? And I do think, I, uh, my third book, which is not up here, The Future-Proof Workplace, we looked at the legacy behaviors that we are still, and mindsets mm-hmm. that we're still carrying forward from the Industrial Revolution, where you were going from an uneducated workforce that was mainly arable-based into factories and very structured disciplines. What is that word, approach. arable? Arable, farming. Farming,
0: Farming, farming. Okay.
1: so you, you people moving from the villages into the towns. Yep, yep. And that mindset of command and control and hustle mindset is continu- has continued into the modern day, but now we're more in a knowledge workforce. And so that's the purpose of the future proof workplace. And that book and our research was around how we need to shift some of the expectations. And the pandemic accelerated it. Totally. A classic example of um, work happens in an office and it happens between nine to five if you're lucky. The other thing that needs to shift for us, and, it, and your, um, your book title there of Psycho-Cybernetics, which I wrote down on a sticky note here, um, made me think about it, is you're right, with all the technology at our fingertips, we've got Slack and text and email and all of these stimuli, and we've got the endless Google, Zoom, Hangout Meet meetings. All of that technology gives us the illusion of connection. It brings us closer to people a long way away but it actually creates division by the people who are closest to us, whether it's sitting on the sofa close to us or those essential relationships that have an immediate impact on my ability to be successful. And so in You, Me, We, we, show a, we provide a three-step process for breaking that habit, the hamster wheel hustle habit. And it's as easy as look up, show up, step up. Look up is what you've been talking about. Survey the landscape. What's important to me now? What's going to be important to me in a year? How am I feeling in my own presence? How are others feeling in my presence? Because if there's a gap, you're going to feel it or you're going to know it. So look up, survey the landscape and make a decision. What do I want it to be? How do I want to feel? Show up then is that intentionality piece. Okay, manifesting is not enough. You can't just look up and wish it were so. I wish it would be lovely if you could, but manifesting is only the first step. I want to be this. I want to be published in HBR. I want to be a successful podcast host like Nick. Excellent. Show up is intentionality. What's the kit I need to get? How can I learn? Where can I get that advice? What's the guidance? What are the next steps? And then step up is follow through and do it. Did I do my best to consistently unlearn and relearn the new habits? Another classic example, we all know we want to be fitter and fit into the new jacket. What do I need to do? Go to the gym. We go for three times and then we stop. Well, that is never going to get you to the consistency needed to deliver the results that you aspire to. So look up, show up, step up, manifest it, make a choice as to how it fits for you. For example, getting up. Oh, look at that balloons. Three o'clock a.m. getting up is not going to happen for me. I don't care how many articles say the best CEOs get up at three o'clock. BS, I don't. Um, So choose what works for me and then go do it.
0: Go do it, yeah. Um, That's an interesting concept that um, all of these tools that provide connection over a, like, vast geographical landscape actually create disconnection in your, like, local Mm -hmm. sphere. Um. I hadn't even thought about that, but then I was just like, as you were describing it, I was just picturing myself at like my dinner table with my kids and wife, like responding to a Slack, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm there at dinner. That's I'm exactly there. Right. I should be there, not on Slack or something, you know?
1: And I fall into that habit too. My my phone is always on silent and my team will text me. In the old days when we used to meet in person, it'd be like, oh, I'm going to be a little late. and We'd meet and have the meeting and then text, oh, I just got your text because I don't look. But I am just as addicted to nose scrolling and reading a book and, and so on. But it's how do you deep presence? That's what Ruby Vesley on my team, my co-author and You, Me, We talks about here right now. Have I removed all the distractions so I can have a deep presence conversation with you, Nick? Right. And that's what we need to start choosing. It's intentionality with family, with friends, with colleagues, because that's how we get to high trust, high candor and can then navigate the inevitable storms of business and life.
0: Yeah, that candor thing is something that um, we're always talking about. I'm always pushing, and it's really, like, hard. It's really hard to get everyone to to do it, and I think to your point, it's almost like – you know, like authentic relationships sort of pave the road for candid conversations. And like you, it's almost like people just aren't comfortable enough to be super candid if they don't have that kind of relationship, unless they're comfortable kind of being a jerk or something.
1: Well, yeah. And to be honest, to be honest, my research has shown again, yes, there are a few people on this planet, but most of us do not get up in the morning thinking, can I be a jerk to Nick today? No, right. How can I be the most difficult? Now, instead... It should be, and we've done this at Sky Team. It's not about perfection every day, but being able to get into a meeting and say, hey, Nick, you know, the the baby cried all night or the dog threw up on the carpet this morning. I'm not at my best right now. And you give me the space and grace to allow me to be 80% today. Because two weeks from now, it's going to be the reverse. Something's going to happen that's going to knock you a little bit off kilter. And then I can pick up and carry for us because that's how you get to the give and take. But if we're not paying attention, if we're not leaning in, if I'm not creating the connection and the compassion, the second practice of an ally mindset, then you're not going to get to courage and vulnerability, the third element, which gets to the candor and debate where I trust you enough to admit, I don't know, or I've made a mistake, or I need your help. Right. And then it all falls apart. Oh, now I've got a thumbs up. How are you getting these? These are cool. Magic, what can I say?
0: <laughs> you just come up with uh, brilliant statements and the freaking machine knows it. You know, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. um, do you think, I don't know. I mean, uh, this dividing line. So in my mind, I mean, everything you said really resonated. You know, this dividing line that is COVID really is kind of the stark contrast, I think. Hopefully, I think people, our kids, our grandkids are going to look back and view that, I think, as this sort of like chapter break between this really this industrial revolution mindset and this sort of knowledge work mindset that's going to be required for, I think, organizations to get the most out of today's assets, which obviously are not machines, they're human beings. Do you think that the importance of relationship in, you know, 1909 manufacturing setting, nine-year-olds running around, everybody pressing buttons and pulling levers on machine presses, was it less important at that stage because like, the factors of production were so machine-based, whereas now in the knowledge work where everybody is the asset, so to speak, uh, it's just like, what do you think it is?
1: So I think that actually back then, if I'm going to go to another leadership thinker, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think the the driving uh, mindset back in the Industrial Revolution, if we go for as far back as the 1800s, would have been just safety and security, getting food on the table. And that doesn't lead into relationships beyond my immediate tribe and family. I think actually that the pandemic, while it's shone a light on the implicit rules of how and where business has happened, has not yet translated into the relationship piece. And part of the, the difficulty was when the pandemic first happened, um, it was an emergency evacuation, grab your bags, leave the office, right. we'll see you in two weeks. And so it was all of the old rules, but just done through a camera. Hey, you're on mute. You're on mute. And then it dragged out to, oh, well, we'll be back by September. And nobody recognized that it was going to be two years. And I think it comes back to intentionality. We're still trying to do office-based work, working styles, in a hybrid distributed environment, but we haven't recalibrated what does it mean to be part of a high-performing team when some of us can reach out and touch each other in an HR-appropriate way, and others, I'm only ever seeing you through the camera. But and I, so yeah, yeah, this ahead. is where we have the opportunity to make the change.
0: No, we do. We do. And I think, I think, though, I mean, I would argue we, we've been in the knowledge work economy for 20, Ooh, maybe 20 40 years. years. I mean, yeah. something like yeah. that. And yet, and so, like that office work, those office work dynamics or those office work, I don't know what what to call them, like uh, recipes for interaction, it's not like those were like proper knowledge work. That wasn't like a knowledge work recipe as it was. And so if we can use this you know, use COVID as just like short shorthand for this sort of chapter break that I was referring to, to like rethink those things where now we're not just knowledge work. We're also like distributed knowledge work or like hybrid knowledge work. We really do have this opportunity to create a new, you know, to steal your title, a new future proof workforce. I, I, I would almost argue that um, the lack of future proofedness that seemed to be inherent to most all companies was probably rooted in the application of industrial revolution, sort of business mentalities in a knowledge work economy that, and I think COVID sort of like shown a light on it to your point. It's shown, it's shown a yeah. light that like these structures don't work. These mentalities don't work because if they did, then the organizations would be future proof in the context of that knowledge work economy. And we, and it would have been a much smoother transition from this in office to like hybrid approach. So
1: I think, Think of them as the rules of engagement. Some of them were explicit. Some of them were implicit around, you know, you're in the office from nine to five. You wear a jacket or you're Colorado casual, whatever those sort of things were. You speak up to the boss. You speak truth to power or, heck no, you keep quiet because you're going to lose your job. So those rules of engagement have to shift. I think the challenge now comes with how do you build a deep relationship through the camera? Yeah, right. And before the pandemic, I was a huge skeptic of, say, leadership development through virtual delivery. I thought it sucked, partly because it did. But what I have learned is when it's done well, some of my deepest friendships that I have cultivated over the last three years, some of those people I have yet to meet in three dimensions, they are all through the camera. And it's a choice. It's the, you know, no longer have an opportunity in the office for the water cooler conversations or the, hey, do you want to go grab some lunch? So now we need to be intentional about scheduled spontaneity. So on my calendar, one of my meetings on a Monday at 8.30, I have on the first Monday, the second Monday, the third Monday, a different list that will appear of people that are important to me that I don't want to forget because I'm no longer seeing them in the corridor. And it reminds me, hey, send a message to it's not cheating. It's a way of making sure that in this hybrid yeah, and working great. at a distance environment, I'm still reaching out. Well, it's again last it's, night it's I intentionality,
0: sat. you know? Go it ahead.
1: is. Yeah. Last night what? I sat down and I went through my phone and I sent happy Thanksgiving messages to people. And of course, depending on when that came, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, or you're going to. <laughs> um, but it generated so many replies of, oh my goodness, you've just made my day. I had one person who said, your message just arrived at the perfect time. I've had a rough day. Wow. And so I was able to say, wow, well, remember, rough days suck. You do not. So hey, those sweet. little deposits yeah. are how we get to being that best friend or the, the sought out go-to colleague that when I'm in a time of right. need and I go, hey, can you help me? People are more likely to be able to say yes.
0: And then you're starting to move from, you know, supporter to ally or something yes. like that. See? Love it. Yeah. Um, if you look at, uh, man, this is so cool. Um, if you look at most organizations, where do you think most people would say the mix of the people they come into contact with are across these four buckets? Ally, supporter, Ooh. rival, and jerk. Do you, so when I, whenever you're I do my, this. My, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. So... It doesn't really matter. I mean, I have got that data, and it, whenever I do it, I've had a thousand IT leaders. And hands up, how many of you got at least one ally, great supporters, rivals, adversary? We see the full plethora. The key here is: do you have at least one best friend at work, mm-hmm. or whatever word you've too yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done this, you know, with miners and engineers and rocket scientists. Use whatever language you want. Best friend does not mean you need to take me home to meet your mother. That we're going to be best friends forever. But we do need to be best friends, i.e. high trust for this project. Yeah, like do you have somebody when you
0: need to talk, you go and talk to or you have someone to go to lunch with and stuff like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or you're going to celebrate with. So the key, the actual question that's more insightful for me, and it goes back to what impact has the pandemic had, is loneliness and the sense of isolation and disconnection. A thousand people have taken our ally mindset profile, and that's connected with our book, You, Me, We. If you're listening and you would like to take it, it is available with our compliments at skyteam, S-K-Y-E, team.cloud, forward slash you, me, we. And it'll take you straight to the self-assessment.
0: You got the cloud one, huh? Well, I like it. Sky. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So skyteam.cloud, forward slash you, me, we. Of the thousand leaders from around the world that have taken that profile, 20%. One in four say they have no friends at work. Wow. 67% say that their success has been undermined by the words or actions of a colleague.
0: 67. Two-thirds.
1: 67. So they're feeling... I'm surprised
0: that's not 100.
1: Well, there you go. But remember, none of us get up to do it. So if it's 100, I'll be even more angsty. But this is what we help solve for. But then when I ask, okay, if your success is being undermined, where are your most troublesome relationships? I get about 13% say it's my boss. And about, you know, 10% is my direct reports. And then you've got immediate peers within my team sitting at the same table reporting to the same boss. And then it's peers elsewhere in the organization. And occasionally customers. Is that about half and half? Yeah. And it's, It's our horizontal relationships that give the perception through words and actions that they're trying to undermine me. But often it's just misaligned goals. We've never talked about what a timely response to my Slack message is. Yeah, it's expectations. We've not reset the rules of engagement. So if we ask for what we need, if we articulate our expectations, now the other person has a choice to meet us where we're at or to say, no, sorry, Morag, that's unrealistic. But then I can choose. Is this still where I want to play?
0: Well, there's at least clarity then. There's at least clarity on expectations. And that's where so much conflict comes from, I think.
1: It does. Because without that clarity, we write stories. We assume others are out together. And they're all negative stories. stories. Yes. We've been there.
0: Yeah. Um, That's a big one, that that friend at work or that, you know, which is kind of the opposite of the loneliness that leads to the disconnection and the disengagement and, you know, all of that how so hey, is
1: this serious nick the world health organization this week announced that they have set up an international commission on social connection because loneliness is not just endemic within the workplace it is endemic globally socially and so my focus is if we can start turning that tide in the location where we spend the majority of our working hours. If yeah. I can influence just one relationship at work and make it stronger, then it has ripple effects into my family life, into yeah, my totally. social life.
0: Totally, because it's. One so life. I'm on a mission. Yeah. On a mission it.
1: to transform our professional relationships. Yeah, in because, one conversation at a time.
0: Um, because the the externalities from fixing that, tr- you know, obviously extend beyond Help. the yeah Help. everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, everything. Isn't it kind of interesting though? Like um you know that law of thermodynamics or something where it's like every action has an equal and opposite reaction it's almost like every like every threat has an equal and oppor- opposite opportunity and like every technological advancement has like an equal and opposite like negative externality mm-hmm. that that comes from it right like mm-hmm. it's it's amazing to think that on average people are more lonely today than they were 100 years ago that's wild at some level because yeah. we're so connected and it's so easy and you know there's this um This, you know, going back to what you said, there's almost like this illusion of connectivity. Um, But the connectivity is almost like synthetic or something. It's like not.
1: It's transactional.
0: It's transactional. Yeah, that's a great way to We talk about
1: four questions that underpin every relationship. Even this one, our first date together here. There's firstly, can I count on you? Mm
0: -hmm. So you'll
1: get into the green room with all of your guests and you'll think, can I count on you to make this podcast conversation interesting and fun? You know, whatever the table stakes are. Can I depend on you to go the extra mile? To me- oh look, now I've got more balloons. I have got to work. It, out that means I'm you got
0: it. something really smart coming. So
1: mm-hmm. I'm really right. uh, looking so forward one, to this. Count on you. Can I just at least have an articulate conversation? Question two: Can I make it fun, engaging, and leave your audience wanting more? Those are transactional. That's where the banking career business relationship started and stopped. You do your stuff, I do mine, and we'll be fine. But fine in the rate of change we're living right now right isn't serving anybody so question three is then do i care about you and not in a group hug trustful way do i care about you in that i know your story i know you have family um i know you you use slack i don't know but it's your journey i know you beyond just your job title today right and then question four is do i trust you and they're all connected but if you don't get to four yeses you're going to struggle to get to a true ally relationship where you have your back and you know who you can call in the middle of the night for help and they're going to be there for you.
0: And these are kind of progressive, right?
1: Yeah, yes. I mean, not in necessarily. I I call them one, two, three, four, but you can enter them in any order. But it's the care about you and trust you, the interpersonal relationship Mm -hmm. questions that are truly transformational, whereas the first two are just give and take transactional.
0: Um... So where do, where do you think, like, the, I mean, you would say the biggest gaps that f- that lead to the, like, the root of the loneliness at work is on this relational piece.
1: Don't think that you care about me. Think about in the last seven days, for those who are listening, has anybody called to check in on how you're doing? Or are the first words out of the mouth, what are you doing? Where's the spreadsheet? Where's the project? And that's the difference. Because as humans, we want to know... A, that we are being set up for success and competent and doing a good job. We want to know that our opinions matter, that people are listening and care about what we're doing, Mm -hmm. and we want to feel like we belong. And that's how you do it. And if we're only ever focusing on the work versus the human that's helping contribute to the work, you know, what are you doing at the weekend? How are the kids? You know, did you enjoy your Thanksgiving? How do you celebrate the holidays? then how on earth are we going to find where we are the same, but also where the differences are, where the misunderstandings might happen that we need to then anticipate and bridge.
0: So is the workplace thing, um, is fixing the workplace thing, do you think a function of like the lack of sort of belonging in other areas of our lives? Um, like, I don't know how to ask this, but like, let's just say, let's assume just for sake of this, that, um, loneliness is a proxy for for happiness. And let's also Mm -hmm. assume, and just, uh, correct me if I'm wrong at any point around here. Um, so if loneliness is a proxy for, for happiness and today people in general are more lonely than they've ever been, then for sake of this, like thought experiment or this thing I'm thinking about, like go back to industrial revolution where workplaces were broken and, you know, everyone, you know, people were pushing buttons and pulling levers, uh, and yet people were less lonely, i.e., like, more happy, where did that happiness come from? Was it because they had these other things they were a part of that they got that belonging from, and then it just kind of didn't... It didn't matter that they didn't feel that belonging at work, or did it not matter that they did, that they weren't feeling that belonging at work because the nature of their job was so, you know, quote-unquote impersonal. They're pulling a lever or pushing a button. I get I'm, like, dumbing all this down, but um, is it that now... People are so disconnected and they don't have these church groups or, you know, friend groups or like, you know, everybody just seems so much more disconnected in spite of this sort of transactional connectivity we have. Does that then mean that like the loneliness, like does that in your mind mean that it like the onus is on workplaces to provide that belonging um, to kind of counterbalance this sort of general lack of belonging that people feel, or do you feel like it's really just um, like an opportunity for organizations to fix this thing because it's just kind of the nature of what today's reality is?
1: Well, I think I'm picking up on the word the organization because an organization is ephemeral; it's a non-entity. It's a yeah, okay. It's a word. An organization is only as good as the people within it, and it, if you expect the they. To fix the need for the you, then we are all going to be waiting a long time. And I've tried that, you know, the whole psychic bit, the past subtle hint bit, the passive aggressive bit. Sometimes at some point I just have to own it. Yeah. So when it comes to happiness, here are the challenges I experience, and there are plenty of other experts who write on this topic and have researched it, is you pick up your phone and we are all bombarded especially now with all the things we need to be doing for Christmas. And you go into Costco and it's filled to the gills with stuff. And that consumerism mindset isn't helping. It just makes us feel like I can't afford it or I don't need it or I haven't got enough. You know, when is enough enough? And so only you can decide as right. an individual. And your definition of enough is going to be different to mine. But it, it starts with you and you choosing well what is going what fills my energy my happiness bucket my spiritual right. bucket my competence bucket whichever one it is and what drains it and then making a choice to either look away from the continual ads to turn off the notifications to choose not to be sucked into i need a new outfit every 2 weeks no right what about the here and now it goes back to what ruby says the the deep presence of how can i be Engaged and happy in this moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a—that's <clears throat> kind of the answer. I mean, as I asked the question, you kind of hit it. You know, it's the—the the organization is—it's a tax entity, but it's not a thing. It's a bunch of people that just show up every day, and so—and even quote-unquote leadership, they don't have control over how people show up. That's up to each individual. And I think what's great about kind of where where we just landed is. It's the high agency answer yet again. You know what I'm saying? The high agency answer is like, okay, well, I need to change my circumstance and I need to do that by changing the lens that I see the world through, which means I have to change the brain that's behind those eyes and change, you know, what I'm prioritizing. Yeah. And like what my vision is, you know? And I think. And
1: that's why the book is why we need a friend at work, but how to show up as one, because I can't transform an organization of 500, 8,000, 20,000 people. I have in the work I've done. What I can do is, did I do my best today to meet my needs and did I do my best to make somebody else's day a little lighter and easier? If you can answer yes to those, you're on a great start. And once you've done it with one person, Mm. it's did I do my best for the team? Because when our team starts to gel, and you know when you've got a high-performing team, others are going to be saying, how do I get a bit of that? How do I either join your team so you'll never be short of talent wanting to work with you? Or how do I collaborate with you so that we can do it? Now we have two teams that are working together to the benefit of us and having those tough conversations and high standards and raising the bar and healthy competition versus knocking each other down. Then you get to the the function and then the division. And then before you know it, the organizational culture, which is the question you asked right at the beginning, is a better place where we can thrive. And that is a powerful place that I would want to work.
0: Have you ever seen that movie, uh... What's it called? Like, A Beautiful Life with Roberto Bellini or whatever? Benini? It's like an old Ring movie. Ring the bell. It's like, uh... He's in, like, a prison camp, and he's, like, enjoying himself in the prison camp. You know what I'm talking about? No. He wasn't I'm in, like, a fun... Point. He wasn't in a fun okay. prison camp. It was how he was. It's, it was his personality. It was that he would find the... You know, the beautiful moments even in the... The mess. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah. I mean, the culture really is the combination of all those people. And, um, you know, it's just funny that in some, you know, some people will sort of blame the culture that they're a part of as the reason for all the ills in their life. And some people will, Mm -hmm. will not, they'll look at themselves as kind of that driving force, you know? And, uh, it's just, it's just a, it's just like a really powerful frame and it, um, it makes it a lot more digestible and it makes it a lot more kind of actionable to say like, okay, well, I just have to start with myself and I can be a, you know, if I want a friend, I can be a friend. And if I can have some intentionality and that can help support Mm -hmm. the borders that I draw or the boundaries that I end up drawing around my life, uh, then I can show up more consistently and not get sort of overloaded by the bombardment of constant, you know, being pulled in 30 different directions, you know? Yeah. Well, um, this was really fun. Uh, I wish this was longer, but, um, Really love this conversation. Um, check out uh, Morag's books, uh, Cultivate, You, Me, We, and The Future-Proof Workplace. Is it Workplace or Workforce? Yes.
1: Yeah, that was a bit of a tongue twister, that one, The Future-Proof Workplace.
0: Yeah, well, I love it. Um, and then also check out her organization, Sky Teams. She can come and help out. Um you know, whether that's with speaking engagements or consulting engagements to really help you take advantage of, um, what we've been talking about for the last hour and start showing that in, uh, in your team. Thank you so much, Morag.
1: It's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank Absolutely.
0: you. Take care. See you next time.